Good evening and welcome to another edition of BAMS Radio, a member of the BAMS Sports Radio family. It is one minute after the hour, no matter where you are, it's one minute after the hour somewhere, everywhere, if you're listening to this show. And we appreciate those of you tuning in live. We appreciate those of you listening by podcast. And we appreciate having our producer back this week. We kind of went unplugged for 90 minutes last week. And uh, life is different on live internet radio when you don't have... uh, intros and breaks and people being able to take calls and so we're so thankful to have Thomas Watts back with us tonight hoping that it all went well in graduate school examinations at the University of South Alabama and we're also joined by Drew the Armand as always from AlabamaIntel.com and I'm your host Kerry Clark from BamaMag.com and so so much to talk about I don't even know where to start so let's hit the ground running by finding out how Thomas did on his final last week. Well, I ended up getting an 87 on the final, but that kept me in an A bracket. So I reported two A's. So I, I, I maintained my 4-0 through grad school. Nice job. Keep up, keep up this pace. You will not be living at home by the time you're 30. <laughs> <laughs> I was nervous. Yeah, you're on, you're, on, hey, you're on pace, man. That's all we can ask. So anyway, I've had a busy day today, guys. I uh, spoke at lunch today to the Atlanta alumni chapter at the University of Alabama, a group of about 30 or so guys. and They had a lot of good questions, and uh, Drew and John and Rodney Oil were kind enough to help me out with a little prep. It was quite interesting asking three different guys how they thought the signing class would, would end up, and uh, they only agreed unanimously on two players. Uh, without saying who voted on what, all three guys told me that they thought that Alabama would end up with both Deron Payne, the nose guard from Chase Valley, and Damian Harris, which is a, a really late comeback by Alabama, the running back from Kentucky. Uh, everybody else differed on, on the other players. There were some guys that got two votes, and some guys only got one, and some guys I thought might have a chance got zero. So uh, bottom line is this. Uh, nobody knows exactly what's going to happen uh, in, in recruiting Drew, uh, but we do know uh, where D.J. Jones is not going, and that's Alabama. Yeah, he's not. He's uh, going to the Ole Miss Rebels. Uh, to, he signed uh, this morning with Ole Miss, despite the fact they've got both returning uh, defensive tackles coming back and Robert Kim Dietschy and his partner. And uh, obviously, uh, DJ is supposedly a better fit for a 3-4 defense, but he ends up in Oxford. And we I think we all know probably what went down there, but it's another story for another day. And they're going to have a lot. It'll add to their depth situation. And Ole Miss also signed uh, the best junior college corner in the country out of Gulf Coast so, to try to replace Golson, who's moving on. So it looks like Ole Miss is uh, going to be salty defensively. They also signed a linebacker to take the place of uh, uh, a guy from my neck of the woods, uh, you know, uh, from, from Austin High School who, won, who wore the number 38 this year, D.T. Shackelford, the Chucky Mullins Award. for Actually, I think he was the first uh, honoree for, to wear it two years in a row. But uh, he wore it two years in a row for the Rebels, and so they signed a linebacker to take his place. So I expect with Dave Walmack coming back that Ole Miss will uh, be salty defensively again, Kerry. Well, they need to be because they're going to suck at quarterback. Uh, <laughs> so they'll have to win some 9-6 to six type games next year. And maybe they will, maybe they won't. Who knows? The SEC West is still the toughest division in all of college football and maybe all of college sports. And uh, it'll be a dogfight again next year. But uh, the Alabama football team is in the final four of this year's playoffs and is preparing for a 
nighttime game, and uh, one of its homes away from home, uh, aside from the Georgia Dome, there's the Superdome, and Alabama will take on Ohio State approximately 8.30, although I'm guessing it's more like 8.50, uh, because they have to wait for the Rose Bowl to be over. But anyway, uh, sometime between 8.30 and 9 on New Year's night, Alabama will face Ohio State. Uh, a couple of the guys at lunch today were a little worried about Ohio State, but my advice to them, Drew, was uh, Nick Saban has three weeks to prepare for your third-string quarterback. Uh, I, I don't think you need to worry too much. I don't mean to sound too confident because I'm literally worried about the second game uh, if we get to get to the second game. But I'm not really that worried about this first round. Maybe maybe I'm too confident in the team, but I, I just feel like Saban's in Urban Meyer's head. And Alabama has better players and, and, in my opinion, better chemistry than Ohio State. That's just my story that I'm sticking to. Well, you know, I, I still think it's going to be a good matchup. Uh, obviously, a lot of Auburn people thought Gus was in Saban's head. That wasn't the case. Uh, you know, could you know Coach Saban still be in uh, Urban's head? Could be, but I do think they'll get Urban's best shot. But it still is with a third-string quarterback, and I think Alabama is going to have some looks defensively that that young man has not seen. Obviously, if Alabama can turn them over early, I like their chances. Uh, obviously, I think they're, you know, with, with Perry at middle linebacker, uh, Joey Bosa, who I think is a really good player, 13 and a half sacks, and then, and then Vaughn Bell in the secondary. They've got guys in all three, uh, you know, levels of the defense that can really play. But I think Alabama will be extremely salty against the run with Ezekiel Elliott, who's the 1,400-yard rusher. And, you know, Jones is a big lumbering guy, but I don't, he's not super mobile or you know, a guy that will make you miss. So he can, he can stand in there, and he's big and strong and tough to get on the ground, I guess, at times. But he's not really elusive, and that's what's really giving Alabama some problems. And I think Alabama matches up pretty well there. And then I just think Alabama offensively with Lane Kiffin giving a month, I think they can do a lot of different things. I think they'll be as healthy as if they've been in a while with Cam Robinson at left tackle, uh, T.J. Yeldon. Obviously, our Darius Stewart should be back at that point in time. Tyron Jones has even started to see reps. So I just think Alabama is, is uh, I would I would still favor Alabama by ten point fourteen. I think they will Ohio State down uh, advance to the championship game. But uh, I just think Alabama, as you said, Kerry. I think as long as they don't turn the football over and if they can, you know, stay even in the kicking game. I don't think there's any doubt about it that I think they're better than Ohio State on both sides of the ball. And I think if they play a clean game, it could end up being like Notre Dame. I really do. But uh, I guess that's just my confidence in this No, team. no. Count me uh, among in that group. I, I think this is a match that's going to get a lot of lot of hype, and it deserves the hype. But at the end of the day, it's the third-string quarterback, like you said, Kerry, and as good as Bosa and Bennett and Bell and the defense has been, that defense hasn't seen anything like the Alabama offense. I have Alabama win 14 to 17 points, and if it turns out 42 to 14, I would be st- I would not be surprised. Again. Oh, me either. I, I think this is an extremely overrated Ohio State team. I think the quarterback they'll put on the field that night is basically an inexperienced, and I want to highlight that word in italics, inexperienced Dak Prescott that will be facing that night. And I think a lot of, they're going to, you're going to get a lot of hype. A lot of, a lot of noise is going to start spinning up here in the next week, right after Christmas, about Cardell Jones. Right. And if you watched the Big Ten Championship game, he did a lot of the Johnny Manziel throw it up really high and let the one receiver go get it kind of ball. Exactly. And, and yes, Alabama has shown that they're vulnerable to that. But at some point – 
it's not going to work. Uh, it's just, yes, you can say Johnny Manziel tore Alabama up doing it last year, but that's when your game plan is throw moonshots all night, that is not a way to be consistent. I do want to highlight one other Final Four story that I'm not trying to look ahead to the next game, but the starting cornerback for the Oregon Ducks, uh, Ifo Ekpre Olamu, destroyed yeah. his knee today. And he was a yeah. consensus All-American at corner. He would have been on Amari Cooper if the Ducks make it. So mm-hmm. I'm not trying to look ahead, but I am saying if it breaks down to a Bama-Oregon match, Amari Cooper just got a little bit more open. That's all I'm going to say about that. But it's also going to help for State. And, it will. And it, it may be enough to get them past Oregon. I, I've seen a lot of projections that Oregon's going to handle them, but Jabu Winston still hadn't lost a college game, and as great a player as Mariota is, and as great an amount of team speed as Oregon has, and I truly respect it. I truly do. Uh, I think this is a big blow to Oregon's defense, and I think that uh, the Florida State receivers, uh, for, the, for the current moment, are the ones that ought to be chomping at the bit. Well, to be honest, I've already, even before the injury, had, had was going to pick Florida State. Uh, the more I thought about it, I know the ACC is weak, but I don't think the Pac-12 is that strong either. And or, and uh, and to be honest, I think with Irving moving to center, it's helped uh, Florida State's interior offensive line and then the emergence of Dalvin Cook to give them balance because early in the season, the first seven, eight games, they couldn't run the football. They've been running the football a lot better. And to me, I still think the Oregon front seven is undersized. And I think they were going to have trouble with Rashad Green and O'Leary anyway. And I just really think that uh, if Florida State can play a clean game and, and Jay Boo not turn the football over a bunch, and if you know if they if they can run the football, and I think they'll be able to against Oregon, I just really think right now that uh, Florida State can win that game. I think it'll be more of a shootout, but I would favor the Knowles in the game by about a touchdown. I, I'm going to pick Florida State in the game. Well, I, I, I tend to agree with that. You know, I, I just think that Janus Winston is going to keep winning, and I think the team to put him out of his winning streak is, is the one that's going to be traveling from, from Tuscaloosa out to Fort Worth. It's not going to be. Well, we can certainly hope. That would be uh, that would be an excellent storyline to talk about for a month or two, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. But i uh, got to get past the first matchup, and we'll see about that. But and speaking on it, guys, I know, you know, hopefully we'll have John Garcia tonight. We will see about that. But speaking about recruiting in junior colleges, uh, obviously we were talking about Ole Miss having a busy day today. And, and speaking of quarterbacks, they did sign a quarterback, Chad Kelly, the former Clemson quarterback and nephew of Jim Kelly. He will probably be their starter next year. But Alabama did not sign anybody today. And, of course, they had targeted D.J. Jones at one time, but I think it was a nice smoke screen by defensive line coach Bo Davis because the number one target is still unsigned and will, did not sign today and may not sign for a couple of days. But the guy that Alabama has targeted is Copiah Lincoln uh, in Western Mississippi, the jumbo defensive tackle, uh, Jonathan Taylor. And if our listeners, if that name you know rings a bell, he's, he was at Georgia last year. For a year, it had been there a year, but it was dismissed this summer for a, dis, a domestic dis, uh, dispute with his then girlfriend. Uh, now he's been uh, one of the things why one of the reasons why he may not have signed is, you know, outgoing President Judy Bonner and Doctor and the Chancellor Doctor Witt are going to need to sign off 
uh, on him uh, enrolling and signing with Alabama. I do believe that will happen according to the people I talked to. But, again, it may not happen. It didn't happen today. It may not happen in the next 24 hours. But I think the chances are very strong that Jonathan Taylor, uh, you know, comes to Alabama and, uh, you know, have it on good sources that Bo Davis thinks the minute he signs the letter of intent, he will enroll in January, that he will be the best defensive lineman on the team. And that's saying a lot considering how well Alabama's defensive line is playing right now. It is. And, you know, as you noted, Drew, Dr. Bonner is stepping down in the near future. And it it could be one of her last acts to sign off on on Jonathan getting admitted to the university. She also had to sign off on the readmission of D.J. Petway, which she did. That was a a kid that that we knew more about. He had been at Alabama. Uh, He got with the wrong crowd. He made a mistake. He owned up to it. He uh, followed all the guidelines set forth as far as his not leaving campus and that kind of thing while he was in junior college. It was a more cut-and-dry thing. I think it was easier for her to sign off on DJ. I'm not saying that she won't sign off on Jonathan. I think that as soon as uh, Coach Saban and Coach Smart and Coach Davis and whoever it all needs to talk to or talk to, I think she'll sign off on him if they can convince her that he is truly trying to turn things around. And to my knowledge, Jonathan didn't have any problems at junior college. Uh, it, it was an unfortunate situation he had at Georgia. I don't know all the details, but uh, it was enough that Mark Rick dismissed him from the team. And, and a shout-out to all the Alabama fans, uh, like myself, that were making cracks about Auburn taking every Georgia refugee. Uh, that, that joke line needs to stop now because <laughs> I think we're about to take one, Drew. And uh, if we do take him, and he is indeed the best defensive lineman on the team, that means that he will be, if he's enrolled, eventually, sooner or not later, uh, the starting nose guard, which allows Ashawn to slide back out the end. So it's like a double whammy for Alabama. Yeah, absolutely. It would be. A, it'd be. A, it's at a position of need uh, with uh, Brandon Ivory moving on, and the likelihood that Jaron Reed could, you know, following a strong playoff performance, decide to move on to the NFL level. So he would. Definitely feel a need there. And then, obviously, you need Josh Frazier to have a good spring and continue to assert himself. He's an excellent prospect as well. But, uh, again, I think, you know, that that's the reason that Alabama continues to recruit and evaluate. They like D.J. Jones throughout, but then people kind of forgot about Taylor and they found Taylor, and he had a tremendous year. And as I'm like you, Kerry, from what I understand, it went on without incident at Copile Lincoln. So uh, that's, a, that's an excellent and uh, another, another uh, you know, connection to Copile Lincoln, Kerry, that's very interesting in the recruiting wars is Alabama defensive line coach Bo Davis played junior college football at Copile Lincoln, and one of his teammates was that, uh, was the father of one C.C. Jefferson. So that's very interesting. Yeah, and uh, two of my three sources uh, that I, on my little unscientific poll uh, where I was trying to guess the rest of the classes coming up, Two of them thought that uh, Alabama would get C.C. Jefferson. And, and very, uh, very interesting. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be interesting down the stretch to sign a day with C.C. Yeah, and I know a lot of people feel like Florida could be the destination, but uh, Florida just now hired a defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. and I don't have any idea who the defensive line coach is going to be, or if Alabama may even play C.C. at outside linebacker. I'm not even sure what Alabama's plans are for C.C. I just know they plan to give him the game to rush the passer if they get him. So you can probably stand on that a little bit for us, dude. Yeah, I think you know CC when he when he, if he if and when he signs with Alabama will start out at Jack linebacker, 
think there's a good chance he could end up bulking up like a John Allen and uh, being a guy that, you know, ends up at, 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 at a defensive end. But, again, he will be a pass rusher, Terry. He's somebody, you know, that's very talented, that Alabama's coveted for a while. But I think another linebacker to watch, we will see. I think, you know, I think that there's been some communication between his, he and his family and the UA staff. If he continues to, if he can, if he holds true to his deadline, his announcement date Friday, you know, could even see something with Ricky DeBerry, because uh, from from uh, Virginia. Because the bottom line is now we we've been talking about the JUCOs today, Carrie, for, for very good reason. But an, another name that had been heavily associated with Alabama that will not be signing with the Crimson Tide is East Mississippi linebacker Lorenzo Phillips, who did not pass his algebra class. And now, basically, either must return to uh, East Mississippi JUCO for the spring semester, or he can return to LSU. And the word I was hearing last night was he would resign with the LSU Tigers. Did not check that today, but I think he will be returning to Red Stick. And Alabama could use one more linebacker to go with our with our uh, soon-to-be guest here in a few in just 20 minutes. Uh, uh, Adonis Thomas, as head coach, Todd Wofford will be on with us. Adonis is a huge pickup for Alabama, but I think the Tide may want one more linebacker in the class. And, you know, I was told it could be C.C. Jefferson, but they could also take Ricky DeBerry if C.C. ends up on the – if they've got him targeted for the D-line. And a lot of moving parts. We don't seem to be hearing anything anymore about possibly flipping Daryl Williams. I find that kind of puzzling. That's, uh, that, that's, I don't think that's going to happen, Kerry. And I'll bring that up, too. I, I spent uh, Saturday in Montgomery – at the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game. I've now seen Darrell three times in person. And to be honest with you, he does have good coverage skills at linebacker, but he did not make a lot of plays in the three games that I saw. Uh, He did not make many. Had a deflection and a couple of tackles, I believe, in the game that I saw Saturday. But if Alabama were to take a linebacker in the state of Alabama, Kerry, I'm going to tell you, the one that I saw Saturday – uh, besides my guy Keaton Anderson, who I love, and I thought he performed pretty, pretty well, but the one that I saw, he was the best on either side of the ball, on either squad, Kerry, and that's counting the great Leo Lewis. But uh, the one that I really liked a lot was Amante Caban of Smith Station High School in Alabama. Uh, you know, and uh, he he had he, he was credited with seven tackles, was very very active. I think the only thing in his you know that, that may have scared some schools. It, and not really scared Alabama because they took Keaton Anderson, but the, he's very, very you know similar in height to Keaton, but a little heavier. So he's only around six foot one, but he's very, very productive. And right now he's committed to Louisville. And if Alabama were going to take him to the linebacker in state, I think they'd take him. But I think right now the two guys to watch are Ricky DeBerry and CC Jefferson. Was the statistician at the game you covered Saturday wrong with only uh, crediting Keaton Anderson with one tackle? I thought so. I mean, I thought I saw him make three or four. I was surprised at that when I saw the final stats. Now, he did play only about half the time because they rotated, but he was very, very productive, I thought, when he was in the game. He was he did a great job of backside pursuit. He played with a high motor, played with a lot of intensity and emotion. And I just really, and I asked him after the game, you know, if he had played any safety during the week of practice. He said, no, nah, they could only run – Certain a certain scheme defensively, he played outside linebacker, but I think he can move well enough to be a safety. And I just think he's a valuable prospect and a football rat. 
in a good way. He's a film rat, someone that's got a high football IQ. And despite the fact that, you know, his uh, his family is extremely well off and got more money than they ever know what to do with, he's, he's not a silver spoon kid. He's a hungry kid, very humble, works hard. And I think he has the drive to be great. And I think he's going to be a guy at Alabama that's very a very productive football player, Terry. A name that I hadn't heard in months, Drew, and all of a sudden, John Garcia, who we hope can join us in the second hour, is reporting that a Michigan legacy will make an official to Alabama January 16th. Defensive end Tyrone Wheatley, Jr. Uh, is there anything to this? Is he really a potential signee for Alabama? I mean, it would depend on the visit, Kerry. He's, he's, he was at the A-Day game last year. I saw him. I uh, yeah. did not know at the time who he was, but he's very, very tall. Uh, very tall and rangy and six foot six. But I'll tell you about Tyrone Wheatley Jr. They call him a defensive end carry, but here's the here's the where he could make an impact. Uh, he could be if he does make that visit, and he you know if Alabama did decide to turn up the heat, he could be a tight end. That's where you could see with Tyrone Wheatley Jr. and uh, him filling out. Now I got a funny feeling if all these uh, it's going across my screen right now, and everybody heard about it today. Uh, and he's, and he's, yeah, if he's uh, if he's considering this, if he does make the decision to go to college football, I still think he'll stay in the NFL. But if he does take that offer from Michigan, and with Ian Rappaport reporting it, he's a very good reporter. If he takes, if he becomes college football's first eight million dollar coach and comes back to Michigan, Tyrone Whitley Jr. will never make that visit, and he'll be a Wolverine. That's probably a very fair assessment. And then another name, although he's not a senior, uh, a 2016 guy that seems to me built more like a power forward, but all of a sudden the name today popped up of Prince Tega Jr. Any any insight on him? Not yet. I haven't done uh, a whole lot of research. He looks like a power thing. forward. He's 6'8", 240. Yeah. He's a 2016 kid with offers from uh, LSU, Tennessee, Oregon, and Texas, but apparently Alabama's at least getting him a sniff. We won't worry too much about the 16 kids just yet. You're right. I was just curious. I saw 6'8", 240, and I'm thinking, well, you know. <laughs> Did you no that last night? Yes. Yes. What a, what a disappointing loss for the Alabama basketball team. And how many times did you see a team score one point in the final 556 of a game, and then the next morning, despite all the disappointment over the loss to Wichita State, the next morning jump 11 spots in the RPI. Uh, Anthony Grant's team is 6-3, and three, but due to their strength of schedule, the RPI is 21 today. And it's laid out for them if they can beat UCLA at home and get 10 or 11 wins in the league, it's still laid out for them to make the tournament this year, despite last night's disappointment. And last night was a bitter disappointment. Make no mistake about it. That was a chance to get a marquee victory, a victory that would rank with, uh, you know, Wimp Sanderson uh, winning for the first time in Rupp, between the SP Championship, Mark Godfrey winning in Rupp, things like that. He had he had a chance for that and and it, it slipped through the hands literally and, and figuratively because they couldn't get a ball across half court a couple times and, and that just it was so disappointing to see how it ended but yet when I saw him jump 11 spots in the RPI I didn't feel quite as bad although I still feel pretty bad about it. Yeah, I I feel really bad. I mean, I they they led throughout the game, you know, led at halftime by a point, stretched it to 11. You've got to be able to close it out, be strong with the ball, get to the line and convert. And they, and I think the lack of post play hurt them last night as far as having needing one more big man to help them on the glass, especially with Jimmy Taylor fouling out. But 
overall, they've got to find a way to, you know, to, to finish that game out. Levi Randolph's been a you know, warrior all year, but in the last situation, he kind of tried to do too much. He should have just kicked it to Ricky Tarrant. No, he can, he can sense there's two or three guys around him. Just have your head up. Don't dribble with your head down and kick it out. Would Ricky have made the shot? I don't know, but it was a golden opportunity. But the bottom line is, though, they needed to make free throws down the stretch. They missed too many, and they've been shooting them really well, but they just needed to get a little bit tougher and finish that game out because it was a golden opportunity. It's a very good opponent, and it would have been the second time for Anthony Grant to beat Wichita State with his only uh, his NCAA tournament team beat them to win a tournament in Puerto Rico. But this would have been even bigger because – that they're they're almost impossible to beat on their home floor, and so many people have talked, to, including myself, have talked about Greg Marshall. But Anthony Grant had a chance to beat him last night, and really should have. And I think Marshall knows they escaped, but Alabama should have won that game, and that was very disappointing. The players, I got to give them a lot of credit. They came out ready to play. They didn't play really good against Tennessee Tech for about a half, but they really played well for most of that game. Just the last five minutes against Wichita State. Hopefully they'll still give them some confidence, though, Kerry. They've got a, a breather coming up Friday and then a, and another one Sunday that shouldn't be a too difficult before UCLA comes to town on the 28th. Yeah, it's, it's still late out there for them. If they can, if they can beat UCLA at home and uh, split with Florida, uh, you know, beat Florida and just lose some losing games, if they can do those, I think they've still got a shot at the tournament. Last night was disappointing, but last night was also a quote-unquote quality loss. But probably about all we need to say today. I'm kind of puzzled as to what's going on with, with Christy Curry's team. And, um, she's 9-4, and four, which is great, but I, I can't get a grasp of how you can beat right Nebraska and lose to um, both Mercer and Jacksonville State. And as a point of reference, Kennesaw State – uh, our friends from the baseball season, their women's team just took Mercer's womanhood last night, destroyed them. So it's not like Mercer is some great team. Right. Alabama just played like dog crap when Mercer came to Foster Auditorium. I don't understand how you lose to Jackson State and Mercer and beat Nebraska. I like the 9-4. and four. I just can't wrap my hands around how they got there. I just – I don't know – and I know it's only her second year. Uh, right. And certainly she don't have all her players in there yet. But truth be told, if you count the Nebraska upset, they ought to be 11-2. Yeah, you know, Quinnipiac is a team that's been in the NCAA tournament a bunch. of a senior team that beat them on a neutral court. Uh, I didn't have a problem with that one. Yeah, I mean, losing to, you know, Duke. Everybody knows how good Duke is year in, year out, top 15. I have a problem but... with that one. didn't like the margin, but I didn't have a problem with the results. But no, the 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 two years bothers you are like you said, Kerry. You not you know year in year out, you should have better players than Mercer, and and uh, and Jacksonville State, and you've got to find a way to beat those teams. And you should you should always be out recruiting those teams. And I just think the youth and the mindset wasn't right for Alabama's women to lose those games. They and I think they only scored thirty nine points against Mercer. I mean that's just. You've got to make shots. You've got to step up. And, I mean, they just, you know. But I do think there has been progress made. But I do think they need, you know, another good recruiting class, which it looks like is on the way uh, to get more depth and to, you know, and to mature as a team. 
And I think, you know, and it didn't help. Their best, We still hadn't talked about it too much, but their best player transferred to Seton Hall. And that after, you know, the whole summer looking like she was going to return, and that's a double-digit score that would have helped a lot. And so a lot of inexperienced players are now having to play more minutes. But it is what it is. But I agree, Kerry, you can't lose those games. And it was just uh, it was a couple of disturbing losses. But the Nebraska win was a really good one and right, yeah. encouraging. Yeah, you yeah. know, a, a ranked team. How does a team that beats Nebraska lose to Mercer or even yeah. Jacksonville? Not yeah. that understanding that. It shows that they've got the, uh, uh, the gumption. But you got to bring it every night, just like in any other sport. Um, yep. But anyway, Christy's building the program. You know, she certainly is a, a qualified coach and certainly bears watching. And uh, I guess we can go ahead and, and, and turn it back to football just for a minute because they have been a couple of practices in preparation yes. for the senior bowl. The media was all in a panic yesterday when three Louisiana players, Cam Robinson, Cam Sims, and Hootie Jones were, uh, not at the 10-minute media viewing period to start practice. that they arrived midway through because they got stuck on a traffic jam on I-20 coming, coming back from Louisiana. And somewhere in Mississippi, they got stuck on the traffic So it, it happens. Yep. Uh, yep. It happens. I, I, you know, so they were back today. Uh, Grand Hill remains absent. Um, Coach, all Coach Saban said was that he was sick. Um, Drew, I, I know you're the biggest Grand Hill fan around, <laughs> but... I had a source today and a pretty good one tell me that this uh, sickness that Grant is struggling with is not necessary physically. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he, he had a he missed a couple weeks during the regular season because of the same thing. He's had uh, I when I heard that it was he was sick, I, I thought you know it may have still be happening. Uh, you know, it could it could it's more of a you know like I say of a depression type thing. I think right. I think. Right, a, more, of a, more of a chemical thing than, than actually a physical thing. So yeah, yeah. thoughts and prayers goes out to the young man. Uh, right, it, course, it's not a, it's no, yeah, it's absolutely no definitely laughing matter. Treatable. Yeah, treatable. Oh, it's not laughing matter at all. I feel sorry for him. Yeah, uh, it's uh, I, 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 I like I'd like to say that uh, next year when he's playing a lot more, I, I would project him as a starter next year. Uh, right. I, I would like to say that, that that that'll help matters. I know if you're as good a player as that, anybody would be depressed. Of not getting the playing time they thought they were, but I think this goes beyond that. I think this is yeah. something that might go before Alabama back back in. You know. So bless the guys hard. I mean, I, I know I have family members that struggle with this, and I know how tough it is. And so I just want to say thoughts and prayers out to Grant Hill, not calling him out at all. Uh, no. I know back in the day, people didn't understand depression, and they thought, oh, get over it, toughen up, man up, nut up, whatever. But it, it, it's a chemical thing in your mind. It's not something that you just wake up one day and you're pissed off because you're not starting, so you become depressed. I, I, I feel for Grant. And, uh, prayers go out to him and his family. and I think he can get past it. Uh, there's certainly medication for it and, and therapy or whatever you need. And uh, I, I think maybe by spring training uh, when Grant is getting, you know, you know, playing time, hopefully, hopefully that will bring his spirits up. But I know there's a lot more to it than just that. Oh, yeah. But, and to his credit, when he came back from the first absence couple of a couple games, Kerry, when he had an opportunity to play, you know, uh, he did well. in two or three games, yeah, he did. He did very, Every very time well. I watched him go in the game. He has acquitted himself excellently between the lines. He did very, very I've well. I've really never seen Grant play poorly. Yeah, he did very well. He, you know, he did a good job against Mississippi State. Uh, you know, he did. You know, he he did a good job against Auburn, and so uh, he's he's done it against some quality opponents. 
And uh, in three or four games down the stretch, he's been very valuable reserve. And uh, just look forward to him getting the help he needs and uh, coming back and being a key. I agree. He has a chance to be a key cog next year and certainly has proven to have the talent to play in the SEC. Well, I sat down the other day and was just trying to figure out the starting lineup because they're losing nine starters on offense. And I was, and he, I got him as one of the starting guards next year. Right. I've got Don Jackson at right tackle, but I've got Grant at one of the guards. I'm not sure if he'd be left or right, but I've got him in there at one of the guards. I, 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 you know, we've heard Nick Saban say for about a year and a half that Grant's one of the five best linemen on the team, yet he's never really been a starter. But I think he will be a starter next year, and I think he'll be great. No question about the ability. I want to remind everybody that you can call and ask questions of Drew and Thomas and I on the Big Head Barbecue Hotline, which is 714-510-3707. Again, that number is 714-510-3707. You can find out more about our exclusive barbecue sponsor by going to his website, bigheadbbq.net. You can contact Chuck Peak, the owner, uh, via phone at 251-379-0094. You can uh, hit him up on Twitter at BigHeadsBBQ. You can send him an email, which is uh, BigHead at BigHeadsBBQ.net. You can go to his website, like I said, BigHeadsBBQ.net, check out his cater menu. Uh, they do all types of uh, private parties and events. It could be a church event. It could be a family reunion. It could be a sporting banquet. Uh, any, any, anywhere you might need barbecue, don't matter if it's eight people or 800 people, he can, he can hook you up. Uh, he is... Big Head Chuck, and he does have some great sauce and some great food. And he's got ribs, chicken, briskets, beef, uh, pork, great sides, fixing, uh, baked beans, coleslaw, potato salad, whatever you want, sweet tea. He'll hook you up. So give old Chuck a call. Again, his number is 351-379-0094. Pretty much anybody south of Montgomery, he can help you out. Or uh, if you want to go ahead and start planning for A-Day, he can help you get that catered too. So. Give old Chuck a call. He's a great guy. and uh, Hopefully we'll get him to call us a few times here in the near future and, and tell us more about his uh, his barbecue. So, But, again, give us a holler, too, if you got any questions. We're at uh, 714-510-3707. That's the Big Head Barbecue Hotline on BAMS Radio. Um, I guess we're not but about maybe five minutes away from our first guest, uh, but we'll intro him when he gets on the phone. And, uh we're still waiting to hear from John Garcia on whether or not he can do uh, our number two. He's uh, at another engagement. He, he may join us at uh, 9.30 Central, or he may have to wait another week. But either way, uh, we certainly have plenty of stuff to talk about. But give us a holler, uh, Marty or Robert. or uh, we, we will be hearing about uh, maybe 5 after 9, one of our other regular callers, Big C will call us. Our only caller from the 334. I hadn't figured that out yet. I can't, I can't wrap my, my hands around that. Uh, we have people calling from all over the state and really all over the south. But we don't have anybody from 334. I know, I know that's uh, just got to be some kind of misnomer. I know that's well, I was in the 334. The yeah, I was in the 334 this Saturday, and I had a good time at the Alabama Mississippi game. and To be that honest, Terry, I've, I've, uh, I've been, uh, this is the first time in, since. The T.J. Yeldon group three years ago, where I was there in person, but I got to say it was very impressive, and it was probably the most talented Mississippi squad I've seen. Uh, it was the most. Yeah, quarterback that went started eleven for eleven. 
Yeah, yeah, Davis. He going to Memphis. He did a nice job, and but to be kind, Alabama's quarterback play was probably the poorest uh, that I've seen in the history of the game. Uh, I mean, yeah, Tyler Cameron struggled, as did the Carroll, the young man from Mountain Brook, and I had seen the Mountain Brook kid from Mountain Brook play. I saw Tyler Cameron in a setting uh, in a combine at you know at Spain Park. But uh, you know he and I, so I knew that uh, I knew a little bit about both of them. But both of them struggled. But I got to tell you, it just reaffirmed my belief, Kerry. And I think you were watching it as well and got to see some of that. But it just reaffirmed my belief that Alabama needs to offer Keith Mixon, and that's all I'll say about well, it. You know, we've been saying that for six months, and there, you know, uh, I guess it was John Garcia spoke to Keith Saturday. I and did as well. Yep. You, were, you were probably standing there, and they asked him, or y'all asked him, you know, what's going on between you and Alabama? And apparently his response was, I hadn't heard from him in a while. He had said, you know, he he, he said, Coach, he told me Coach Cristobal was staying in contact, but was still trying to, you know, get Coach Nick Saban to sign off on it. And to me, he still called Alabama his dream school. And I said, well, you know, what would, what would be your reaction if the offer did become reality? And he said he would just have to discuss it with his family and, make a final decision, I think he would come to Alabama carry. I think that's what he wants to do. But he's uh, right now he's concentrating on Mississippi State. and uh, they. He said he really doesn't have any other visits. I think he's going to visit there the 16th. But he doesn't have any other visits scheduled. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens there with Alabama. We thought during the season Saban was going to green light Nixon. He did not. And they still sound like they're, they're trying to talk Daylon Charlotte back on the reservation. The only way that will even have a chance to happen is if he actually comes on an official visit to Alabama. We don't know if that's going to happen. He didn't he visit during the, during the school year and during the season itself. So we will see. I don't really consider Daylon a commitment anymore. Uh, you know, he's on, he's on the fence a little bit there. He's really actually officially decommitted. So we'll see what happens with him. But it sounds like they want to try to talk him back on, you know, you know back to – on the side of the tide and then try to sign another receiver. But thought it might be Lawrence Cager, but the way recruiting goes this week, Kerry, it sounds like Cager now is starting to – he says Virginia Tech may be recruiting him the hardest, but it sounds like Georgia's made a move. But anyway, uh, tell you what we're going to do, Drew and Thomas. Uh, we can go ahead and take a break. I know that Big C will be calling us in a few minutes. But for now, we're going to uh, run a few – informational spots and other forms of entertainment for you. Uh, it is currently one minute after the hour. You're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the BAMS Sports Radio family. Take BAMS Sports Radio with you on the go and in your car with the free iPhone app. With cutting-edge features including live broadcast, on-demand radio, play-pause buttons, and text connect, allowing you to text into shows giving True Tide fans an interactive sports radio experience like never before. Go to BamaSportsRadio.com or search Bama Sports Radio in the iPhone app store to get true 24-hour radio on Alabama sports anywhere in the world, only from Bama Sports Radio. Keep up with Bama Sports Radio off the air and on the move for the latest news and programming on all things Alabama. Follow us on Twitter at Bama Sports Radio and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bama Sports Radio. Bama Sports Radio, giving you all tied, all the time. The 
Welcome back to BAMS Radio. It's five minutes after the hour. You are listening to another edition, a fun-filled edition, a fact-filled edition. And uh, so nice to hear some Christmas music. I think that might be a first for BAMS Radio. Very good job. Thank you so much, Thomas Watts, America's producer from the port city of Mobile, Alabama. And a uh, style of art for Alabama Intel and other various and sundry publications that get in past passes. So thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Thomas. Also joined by Rudy Armand of AlabamaIntel.com, and I'm Kerry Clark, your co-host from BamaMag.com. And uh, we invite you to take advantage of the opportunity to call in and ask us any kind of question you got about Alabama football or Alabama athletics or college football or the SEC. We've got all of opinions, and some of them are accurate. Uh, the Big Heads Barbecue Bams Radio Hotline number again is 714-510-3707. One more time, 714-510-3707. And uh, I got a funny feeling we already got a caller on the line. And uh, let's go ahead and bring him on. Your friend and mine, Big C from Greenville, Alabama. What is going on? You are. You and Drew. Hey, Drew. Or is he there today? Drew? He's here. Uh I think he might have stepped, either stepped away or didn't unmute himself. But I'm here, and Thomas is here, and uh, you're here, and Drew will be back with us in a second. Uh, we were just coming off of a commercial break, and uh, that's uh, yeah. when okay. all those folks. First question I want to ask you. All right, next, all right. Weekend, next, next Wednesday is going to be New, uh, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. Are y'all going to be on or not? I don't know, Thomas, are we? I'm thinking... Well, we just got Drew back. Uh, only... hey, I think he ran around the block, man. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, bro. Uh, are we having a show on Christmas Eve with Thomas? Uh, I'm kind of leaning towards not Christmas Eve, but I think because of the proximity of the Sugar Bowl to – obviously, it's January 1st. I think we should seriously consider having a show – New Year's Eve. Uh, Big C, I guess the thing is, and I can say this for fans as well, keep an eye on our Twitter account. We're, pro- we're going to have to have a meeting after the show to pound all that out, just to finalize. Okay. Well, I'm thinking, thinking no on Christmas Eve, yes, on New Year's Eve, because New Year's Eve I can broadcast live from New Orleans. Well, I, I'll I be there thinking, too. <laughs> I was thinking that uh, if we did have a show, it might even be on the 23rd. I didn't even know. I The 24th, yeah, I kind of figured – if we had the show, it wouldn't be on Christmas Eve. It might be a day early. I think we've all learned a week off. So, and uh, you know, everybody's so used to being on Wednesday, and not everybody that listens to the show religiously follows our Twitter account. So, yeah. I, I'm gonna go ahead and make the call now. We'll uh, we'll be back with y'all in two weeks, New Year's Eve. Two of us will be in New Orleans, maybe three. I don't know. <laughs> Big C, you going to New Orleans? No, I'm not gonna be able to make it. I'll be there in spirit, though. I think we ought to tell them about the first trip, George. No, we don't need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> we probably show it. In. Well, no, it's our radio. <laughs> it's internet radio. Pirate, they call it pirate radio. No, we won't talk about that. But anyway, I guess uh, we skip that story. But it's a, it's, yeah. it's a good one. But anyway. <laughs> Big C got some interesting New Orleans stories to tell. But anyway, uh, Big C, how do you see this matchup uh, with Ohio State shaping up? 
I just can't see a third-team quarterback beating us. I know they killed Wisconsin. Now, let me ask you all something here. I know that uh, – I heard that Jerry DiNardo said he knew that they were going to blast him at the stadium when he saw him in pregame warm-ups. Now, I was looking at a, a, a recruiting service, and I know that uh, Ohio State has at least 54 and five-star players on their roster this year. I don't know how many that Wisconsin has, but I looked over from 2014 to 2010 because, you know, some people are fifth-year seniors. And they had a total of 12. They signed a total of 12 four- and five-star players in that time frame. And uh, I just – I don't know. I just think that might have been a difference. In it. Uh, I just think we'll win. I don't know how much. Um, I think we'll, uh, we could cover the line. It wouldn't surprise me if we do. Uh at one point, it's good as uh, as um, as a uh, hundred, but I just think I think we just got. I mean, it just looked like the last few weeks of been being able to, you know, just all of a sudden just pull away from teams in the last quarter and just been amazing to me. And I just can't see a third team quarterback bombing bombing us downfield and uh, and the run game. We've held everybody pretty good under. Nobody's gained over 200 yards, and here I am running my mouth on that, but I just can't see them making a living off of us running the ball on us. And then I think it's gonna ha- what's going to happen is the third-team quarterback is going to get to the point where he's going gonna, gonna to fall into our hands. Hopefully the secondary will be – if they really play good, then there's no way they'll win. Because I just think the offense is too explosive, and their defense is not that good, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree, Big C. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I think it's a good matchup for Alabama. I think uh, they could give Alabama some problems early, but if Alabama stays the course and plays a clean game, I think uh, uh, I think they can pull away from Ohio State. Uh, I just think, obviously, the Big Ten is, I think, not nearly as tough a league as the SEC. Uh, and Ohio State finished strong, and i got to give them credit. I didn't think they would win in East Lansing. Uh, they proved me wrong there. Uh, and then I, I, I was even thinking that they might not get by Wisconsin, but they completely destroyed Wisconsin. The Wisconsin couldn't complete a forward pass. Uh, they, they weren't a very good passing football team. And, and I agree with you. With 30 days to prepare, I think Alabama's going to, you know, really have some things that it's going to confuse Cardell Jones. And uh, I, just, I just really believe Alabama will win the matchup in the end as long as, uh, you know, they don't, they, uh, Blake Sims is, Plays a, his is solid, continues to play well. Hopefully, like he did against Missouri, and uh, hopefully they spread the ball around. But I really think the X factor in the game could be T.J. Yeldon. He should be as healthy as he's been in a while, and I think he can give Ohio State a lot of problems. Well, speaking of him, do you think this will be his last? I mean, this year, the next game will be his last game. Or, which I'm thinking we're going to win this, or do you think he'll be back, or do y'all have any idea on that? I think he's definitely gonna not gonna return, Big C. I, I think the only one out of question between I know Amari Cooper, Landon Collins, and obviously I think TJ will move on. Obviously, there's a I think that Jaron Reed is leaning toward leaving right now. We will see if that continues. But those four guys, I think, are the ones that are the more the most likely to leave. And I think uh, Jaron is the one that I wish would reconsider, but the other three, I think uh, Kerry would agree with this, or you know, as good as gone. Well, I can't even really argue with Jaron. The year Jaron had, um, 
He's had he was very good the second half of the season. There's no doubt. So well, re- really starting in game four with Florida is when he started asserting himself. Right, and some all my friends talked to uh, you. Thought find this interesting, Drew. One of my friends talked to DJ Petway's father uh, mm-hmm. at SC championship game, and he he wants to get a grade on himself. But I, I, I'm hoping the coaches can kind of talk him out of it since there's only a limited amount of grades you can get on kids now in juniors. Oh, you talking about DJ wants a grade? Yeah, he's yeah. His parents are talking about how they need the money and all that. So you know how it goes, you know. Yeah, uh, he's they all not. think they're ready, but I'm hoping that the staff can can talk DJ out of pursuing it, and I think they can. I I, I don't think DJ right now. He's considering. He's already planning on enrolling in the Masters program. I don't think I think he realizes that obviously he, he coming in I think he had expectations of having eight to ten sacks and moving on but I think he realizes that he's not ready for the NFL and I his parents may need the money right now that's what an insurance policy is for uh, he's got his degree he can get his master's and the bottom line is what is the NFL for Kerry? Not for long. Yeah, especially if you make the wrong <laughs> And I just really think he needs to come back and, and plan or coach Saban. If Jaron continues to be dominant in the playoff period and that second-round grade is really what they've evaluated him as, I agree with you. You can't really blame Jaron for moving on. Uh, you know, we'll see about that. But he's really been outstanding. And I know Joey Bosa is going to get a lot of hype going into the game. It wouldn't surprise me if Jaron and Ashawn Robinson stole the thunder, though. Who's that? Jaron Reed and who else? Ashawn Robinson, who was tremendous oh, yeah. against Missouri. Yeah, but you don't think Ashawn Robinson is going to leave this year, do you? He can't. Big C, just a sophomore. No, he's just a sophomore, oh, Big okay. C. One more year oh, out of Big okay. Ashawn from Fort Worth, and then he will be a first-round pick. He's very Ashawn good. Ashawn has one of the coolest things at his signing ceremony. I don't know if you ever saw the video of Big okay. C. When Ashawn committed to uh, Alabama, he had somebody walk up uh, to the podium dressed. Not It wasn't like Big Al, but it was just like another kind of elephant. And uh, yeah. guy, it was so it was so cool. Uh, <laughs> I like that. But anyway, Ashawn, you know, as Drew said, had a, a great game. Against uh, against Missouri, Ashawn is the uh, he is the prototypical hurry up no huddle nose guard. He don't have to take him out of the game. Uh, he can well, play it every down for you. Not like Darren Lake, not like Brandon Ivory. He don't have to come out when you put him at nose guard. Uh, and and one thing we talked about first, I was Big C. I guess you didn't hear it, but uh, Alabama is probably on the verge of signing a junior college nose guard that might allow Ashawn to move back out to end next year if Darren Reed does go pro. And I'll let Drew tell you who that young man is. Yeah, Jonathan Taylor of Copile Lincoln Community College. And I've got another little tidbit I didn't say in the first hour that Big Seal here, but from what I understand, you know, at first I was hearing the young man was 334 or 335 to 340 pounds. I'm hearing his weight may actually be all the way up to around 360 but here's the scary part. The Alabama coaching staff feels he can sustain and play at that weight. If he can Golly. play at that weight and and be a freak of nature and take some of the pressure off Ashawn Robinson and, uh, you know, John, and Josh Frazier next year, should Jaron Reed move on, then Alabama is going to be, you know, very hard to handle 
on the defensive front. And I'll say this about Daron Payne, uh, Kerry. I've seen enough flashes from Daron Payne to see the uh, athletic ability. His stock has dropped. There are some well, people. In- he, he has athletic ability, but I think, you know, he's more of a, a, a Darren Lake or Brandon Ivory type of well, He is still a nose, but what I'm saying, Kerry, is there's been people questioning his motor, question his desire, do this and that, including William Barger, who I work with. But all I'll say is who else did they do say the same thing about when he signed with Alabama two years ago? I give up. Who? Deshaun Robinson. And that has worked out pretty well. Yeah, he's a great player. Uh, I'm just saying. He can leave in three years as one of the best ever playing And that's what I'm saying, Kerry. With Darren Payne, I just think that there's some people writing him off. But but when he burst on the scene a year ago, he was the top ten national guy, cost some people some scholarships. The talent is still there. Do I think he's A-Sean, like, can move around to different positions? Probably not. But the talent is there for him to be a very, very good player. And guys that are hit with that kind of ability with 6'4", 335, I think it's a mistake to let them go to the other side of the state. And that's all. Well, no, they're not going to let that happen. They're not going to They're not. Alabama still wants them. But, you know, getting back to Jonathan Taylor, uh, who, by the way, they see is a former Georgia player, uh, yes. he, sounds, he sounds a lot like Terrence Cody. Yes, somewhat. I, I think they think he's a little more versatile, Kerry. I've been told they even think even at 360 he could play all three line positions and could play in. He was agile enough to do so. We will see. A lot of that will, should he sign with Alabama, we'll see that in the spring. Uh, but, again, I think uh, Jonathan Taylor is turning into a crucial guy because they want to bring in a junior college player to make an impact like they did last year with Jaron Reed and D.J. Petway. Well, um all right, Darren Payne, where is, is he from Hoover? Or am I, or do I got him there? Shades Valley. Close. Shades Valley. Shay, Shay uh, oh, yeah, I've heard of him. I'm familiar with him. So, do y'all think he's going to sign with Alabama? I would be surprised if he does not, Big C. Yeah, we think he who's will. The guy, who's the guy from Hoover that's committed to Auburn, but he's been bitched in Tuscaloosa a lot? That's Daryl Williams, Big C. Uh, he's an outside linebacker. He's he's uh, he's he, I saw him this weekend in Montgomery. I do not think at this time he will be a part of the class. But his running mate Christian Bell is going to sign with Alabama as a Jack linebacker. Saw him Saturday as well in Montgomery. Flashed as a pass rusher. Is a sure red shirt because he must gain weight. He's only about 215 pounds. There's there are some that are down on him as well and think Alabama should look for a better player, but I still think with Alabama's strength program and what I've seen out of him against high-level competition at Hoover, Kerry, and you've seen it as well, I still think Christian Bell in two years could be a very good pass rusher in the SEC. Christian Bell is the good every time I've watched him. Yes, I, I think he can play. I'm going to stick to my guns there. All right. Uh... Y'all got has Alabama got two more commitments? Is that correct? Uh, they've yes, they've they've recently got a Donald Thomas. We had Coach Wofford on tonight. Uh, he he flipped uh, officially to Alabama uh, just a couple weeks ago, and he visited Georgia officially this past weekend. But just out of uh, as Coach Wofford said, as he signed off roll tide, I think there's not a lot to worry about there with uh, Donald Thomas. He's a very good player in the top linebacker oh, yeah. on Alabama's board. 
And then, obviously, this past weekend, after the official visit weekend, the first one to, to, to come to fruition Sunday was the flip of Matt Womack of uh, Hernando, Mississippi. He had been a long-time commitment since July uh, to the LSU Tigers, but had had a very good camp at Alabama this past summer. They wanted to see him play the first three games of his senior season. Nick Saban liked what he saw, offered him during an unofficial visit when he came down September the 13th for Southern Mississippi. The young man stayed committed to LSU for a good for a while, for a couple of months, but came back for an unofficial for Mississippi State, then had his official visit set up this past weekend, and we all saw what happened. He flipped to the Crimson Tide, and he's he, they, need, they, they wanted to have a couple of offensive tackles in the class, Big C. He's a developmental right tackle like an Austin Shepard with a lot of upside, and they're now right now they're going to shift their focus to trying to find one more offensive tackle in this class. And the two guys that they're targeting right now are uh, Isaiah Prince of Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, he will be coming in on his official for the 16th of January. And also someone that will keep your eye on it, he skipped the Egg Bowl to come to the Iron Bowl because he wanted to see quality football. And that was Drew Richmond of, uh, you know, University High School in Memphis, Tennessee. He's been committed to uh, Ole Miss in September, but uh, he came to the Iron Bowl and he will visit Alabama uh, he's slated to December the sixth. I mean, excuse me, January the sixteenth as well uh, to for that big recruiting weekend. Uh, the Alabama's first of January. He's slated to take an official visit, and Alabama's still very interested in Drew Richmond. What about the running back out of Kentucky? That Alabama is it Alabama Notre Dame's wanting him, or Ohio State is wanting him? Well, it's now. I, I, it's now it, that is Damian Harris of Berea, Kentucky. And actually, Notre Dame has fallen by the wayside a couple months back. Uh, in Ohio State, just recently, with a, with the taking of Mike Weber of Cast Tech in Detroit, uh, they fell by the wayside. It's really going to be another Matt Elam type situation, except hopefully go in Alabama's favor this time. But uh, you know, Damian Harris has visited Alabama officially for the for the uh, the Iron Bowl. He was also there unofficially for Mississippi State. And Damian Harris visited Kentucky this past weekend officially. He will go to the Under Armour game uh, with uh, Blake Barnett, and he will be announcing his final decision still as of right now on January the 9th, though he will not be an early enrollee. But Damian Harris is down between Alabama and Kentucky. All right, the guy you're talking about, that Elam guy, I saw him, highlights of him last year. How did he do at Kentucky this past year? He ate a lot of food and weighed about 380 pounds and played so some he- on the defensive line. That was really, to be honest, a non-factor. And uh, I, I never, I saw him, you know, make a few plays this season. Kerry can kind of maybe add what he saw, but I didn't see. I saw a basically a one-trick pony at nose guard who really, to be honest, looked to be twenty to five to thirty pounds overweight. Now let me ask you this: If he'd come to Alabama, you don't think he would have been gaining all that weight, do you? Or is that hard uh, to say? Absolutely not. Nope, and he would have faced some consequences, let's just say. Okay, we won't get into that, but I know what you mean by that. But um, now that's uh, now that's pretty interesting, all these recruits, and it's just, um, yeah, I've been looking at stuff the last few days, it's just sort of like the old saying, the rich gets richer. <laughs> that's a good analogy to use, Big C. But um, hey, see, I understand you I, had an uh, interview this morning on your show uh, with Howard Snellenberger. How'd that go? It went real good. We were promoting his book, and then I'm going to have 
somebody you and I know on from seven ten to seven twenty uh, thirty on um, Friday morning. I want you on later on that night day, but we're gonna have we're gonna be talking about Mal Moore's book by Steve Towns, and we're gonna talk about that uh, Friday. But it really went real well. Then we was promoting this book and we was talking about highlights of his career, like when he coached. You can go to jockjive.com and look for Talking Sports with Big C on that for today. We talked about him, you know, coaching at Alabama, of course, and then playing under Coach Bryant at Kentucky and and also taking over the program down at Miami. And then also coaching, mentioned, talked about him He when he was at Kentucky under Bryant and Collier, mentioned he met Don Sheila way back in 1959 and, Asked him a question about that, which um, he really went into some com- good comments about Don Shula. And then, you know, he coached on the 72 team for the Dolphins that went undefeated, the only undefeated team ever in pro football, which I remember when that happened. It's still amazing that happened because it's pretty hard to go undefeated in the NFL. But, uh, yeah, everybody go to that, uh, go to that uh, site, uh, and you can be – hear what uh, he had to say about his book and his career. All right, man. We appreciate it. Always good to hear All from right. you, Big C. Thank you. Thank you, Big C. Roll Tide, man. Hey, you still at Kerry? No, I don't. I'll talk to you later. I'll text you later on that book uh, about Friday. But thank you. and enjoyed talking to you and Drew. Hang in there, Drew. Hang yes. in there, Kerry. Roll yes, tide. Roll tide. Good to hear from you. Thank you. Bye bye. I think it might be time for. I think it might be time for Drew to take another spot on the big show this Friday. Kerry's <laughs> <laughs> not back home from New York. You all right with that, Drew? <laughs> well, whatever Big C wants to do, man. Well, whatever he wants. Uh, it's not about <laughs> what Big C wants to do. Tell him I want you to do it. He's gonna let you do it. <laughs> yeah. If you don't mind doing this Friday, uh, <laughs> cracking glitter here with uh, Barry Sanderson. He was, uh, you know, that's Wimp Young. He was using on Twitter that uh, he didn't understand why they couldn't get somebody better than Darren Horn to commentate on the SEC network in the studio. He said, why don't we get a former SEC great player? And I said, Barry, they got Dane Bradshaw. <laughs> <laughs> back on that now. <laughs> uh, John Garcia will not uh, be able to join us tonight. He's just texting me. But he does want you to know, the band listeners, Thomas, Drew, and everyone else, he wants us to know that we really need to be watching closely, as we alluded to earlier, this Johnson Taylor situation. Okay. So if John says it, you know, and Drew says it, um, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that I'm 90% sure he signs Alabama. Oh, I'm 99.5%. <laughs> I can remember saying that three years ago about James Winston and that was on my face. I don't think that's going to happen here. I mean, no. he's town bound, friends. So get ready yeah. for a dominant defense next year for Alabama. New uh, lose nine starters on offense, Drew, uh, and going to be breaking in yet another new quarterback. But at the same time, uh, I, I think next year has got the chance to be one of the saltier defensive teams that we put on the field, and that's saying something. Well, it's going to be interesting to see the makeup of the staff, Kerry. Uh, I think there's a chance for two to three coaches to move on and move to other places. But new blood is not 
necessarily a bad thing as we saw this year. And I still think with the talent coming back, even at receiver, and with the ability to scheme of Lane Kiffin and identify playmakers, and, you know, we really haven't really talked about it, but we're going to talk about it now. We've seen the debut in the last two days of a new weapon at Alabama. He will not play against Ohio State, but Bo Scarborough is now officially in school. Alabama won that appeal and got him in, and uh, he will. His clock has now started, and it will be official when he, uh, when you know, officially started in January when the classes start the sixth. But he can practice with the football team now. Will will not play in New Orleans. I don't know why people asked me that about five times yesterday. No, Alabama is not going to play him. No, they wouldn't burn a year of eligibility in one game. But uh, the bottom line is is that Bo can be a very special weapon, carry with uh, Lane Kiffin, his offensive coordinator. As you've seen and everybody's seen on the video and the pictures, he's a ripped SOB. Uh, I've heard he's gained, he may wear as much as 248 right now, but it, it's good weight. Uh, he's as big almost as a tight end. When he stands next to the king, He's almost as big as Derrick Henry, uh, and I think he's very versatile. He's a better receiver than Derrick. Uh, we'll see if he can be as good a runner. I think he has the the ability to be with more power because Derrick is really more of a cutback runner. But I think as a as a as a, a the best description I've heard is by William Barger, a jumbo Drake as a wide receiver, H back, running back. I think he could be a matchup nightmare for SEC defenses in 2015. And when you have – he could be considered thunder. And then when you get lightning back with Kenyon Drake, you could put both of them in the slot at the same time and pick your poison, Kerry Clark. Well, here, Drew the Armand, it's something else that you, you didn't mention, but I'm going to mention it. You know who else weighs 248? Jostin Fowler. Yes. And if, if Bo is willing – because let's face it, Drew, the lane keeping offense depends on the H back slash yes. fullback. But yes. you, got, you, have to be able to, you have to be a combination of an H back, a tight end, and a fullback to play this unique position. And if at six two two forty eight, uh, Bo Scarborough is willing to do that, and that means blocking. You didn't have to block in high school. Right. He's got a whole spring and a whole another week in Tuscaloosa to work on it. Uh, and he's not. And if he's willing to accept that role. I think he's going to play a lot next year. If he's willing yes. to just be nothing but a running back, I think he could be the third guy. Might well, be battling Tyron Jones the same time. But if he's willing to set the Fowler role, I think he's going to get a whole lot of playing time very early in his career. Well, he, he played a lot of receiver at the Under Armour game and did a very good job, Kerry. And I think, as Coach Saban said yesterday, he can be a wide receiver for us, but from the running back spot. And I just think he's somebody that's going to be unique. And I said that when he signed with Alabama, that he will be a running back, but he will be able to play multiple roles. And I think he'll be a unique weapon. And I shudder to think what he'll look like after Alabama's uh, fourth quarter program. Scott Cochran will do some things to that young man's physique. And something else I wanted to bring up because it just popped into my head. I, you know how I like to put two and two together. Uh, you know, we've, we've complained and we've observed and, and everything else in the book that there needs to be an inline tight end in this class. Right, well, right. guess what? If Bo Scarborough is willing to play H-back, there's nothing at all wrong with putting Hale Hinkins in inline tight end. Well, that, that's true. And Hinkins has had a very good senior year, and Missouri's still trying like crazy to get him 
don't think it's going to work because I think Kent just realizes that it was 42 to 13 and it was a massacre. And, uh, and, and, I didn't see the Missouri tight end getting a whole lot of action. Might have called and him. I will say this, too. Yes, that's correct. They, they missed him a couple of times. But I will say this. Uh, I'll go with a Keaton Anderson, uh, one of my favorite things. Everybody knows, again, his family, his uncle and his father have done very well in the business world. They both played at Tennessee. His brother played at Tennessee. They wanted Keaton to play at Tennessee. But as Keaton told them, you guys played at Tennessee. How many rings do you have? Now one. Zero. He said, I want to win. I want to win a ring. And so that's what he's trying to do, going to Alabama. And I think Mr. Hinkins, no disrespect to Gary Finkel, who's done a fine job, Gary, and uh, done a great job reaching two straight SEC championship games. But I think Mr. Hingis wants to win a ring, and I think he'll be at Alabama. And I, But I agree with you. But I'll say this. There's one thing I do want to put to bed after seeing him live and hearing about his senior season from Tom, from John Garcia and uh, from other people in the business and then seeing myself on Saturday afternoon, Anthony Jennings is beyond a shadow of a doubt a defensive player, and we can put all that tight end crap to bed. He's I said that when I saw him play. Yeah, I said that yeah. when I went to the table that night. Absolutely, that's a good point. That's a good well, point, let, yeah. let me bring back something on Keaton, though. Uh, I look at Keaton as a guy who's probably not even 220 right now. And no, I would agree I, with that. I, I, I would agree. I'm thinking I want to see him develop into a special teams demon early and then later on a being sincere type of safety out of him. I think that's, he could very easily end up as a strong safety, Kerry Clark, and I thought that, you know, after talking to people that have seen him practice. And, and I think I told you, I went and watched him play against Bob Jones. We had a pretty good football team. And, you know, Florence made a great comeback. And near the end of the game, they were trying to salt it away. He played a lot of safety. He's played multiple roles. And getting coaching by Nick Saban after a redshirt year, I could I could easily see him any, I could easily see Keaton Anderson being the next mini Sunsary. And uh, and playing strong safety, and I have got the mental fortitude to do it. And I think the talent. I love the way he pursues, and I love the way he hits. And uh, he would he would be excellent doing what Landon does some down in the box and near the line of scrimmage because it's a lost art in football, Kerry. But the strength of Keaton Anderson is again pursuing in closing speed, and he is a very very good open field tackler. Yeah, he is, and you know. They only credited him with one tackle Saturday, but there were a number of plays where he, from his outside linebacker position, and just watching on TV, you could see him setting the edge and allowing his teammates to make tackles. He's a smart young man. He knows the game. And uh, if you're looking for somebody to, to play Jesus in your next passion play, he's your man. Uh, <laughs> he just needs to grow that mustache out a tiny bit more. But I tell you what, you look at his, his mugshot and uh, – I you know I don't know the church is in Florence so I'll be fighting over him about April, but anyway, uh, <laughs> he, but really an impressive young man. I got a chance to talk to him extremely briefly on the sidelines when they were destroying Gardendale a couple weeks ago in the playoffs. Uh, Keaton's got a bright future at Alabama, and we should all be very fortunate that we got him. Uh, why don't you expand a little bit more about where you were going with your uh, what convinced you about Anthony Jennings being strictly the end? Well, I tell you what, or a jack linebacker. I still think that he'll end up gaining weight. He's around 255, 260 right now. I think he'll end up being a John Allen-type defensive end. And, 
He was good in the first half, but really took it to the next level along with Keaton setting the edge. As they, you know, obviously in the first half, the Alabama squad gave up 28 points, gave up two in the second half, and on a safety, which never should have happened. It was another disastrous snap, but that's another story for another day. But, uh, but, yeah, I was going to get you in a little while. But, uh, but, but again, you know, I felt like Anthony, he got a sack in the second half, really big, late in the ball game, stop down the, down the line of scrimmage in the backfield from behind, from the backside against the run. I just felt like his motor was running. Uh, I interviewed him after the game. He felt like he played really well. I just think he's a stud. I think he's going to be a big-time defensive end. He had a big-time senior season. And uh, he's someone, he, I believe he's going to the Army game. You need to just sort of watch. I think he is. I've lost track of all that stuff. But he's a big-time football player, and, and he's somebody that's kind of flown under the radar because he committed so early, Kerry. But I think he's another very, very fine defensive player. And, boy, I thought the two best defensive ends in the game that I saw, both of them are going to the SEC, but I, I, if Auburn doesn't, offer the other young man and, and lets him leave their backyard, they're crazy. But I thought Anthony Jennings was the best I saw, followed closely by Quindesky Whitlow of Opelika High School, who will be heading right now to the South Carolina Gamecocks. Yeah, he did look good from TV point of view. All he watched on TV. Somebody else that looked, looked pretty good on TV and looked good at the time I saw him in person four months ago, uh, they may have to open a new IHOP on Madison Avenue after oh. the performance Vester Cotton had through. I, I, I tweeted that out right after the game ended, in the, in the, and, you know, Justin Johnson caught the pass. John Garcia, got to give him a lot of credit, did a great job with his camcorder of shooting the final catch. It happened right in front of me, and Justin caught it, rolled over. The guy took it from him, but he'd already been broken the plane of the end zone. He was in the end zone. It was a great catch. And they won the game thirty-six to thirty on the last play of the ball game, but I gotta, you know, I gotta give Lester Cotton credit. He immediately was out on the field and screamed. I just want to know how many pancakes I had. Uh, my boy, my guy Freddie Kirby that was with me had the line of the day. He said, "Was that for breakfast or for the game?" And uh, he turned and, and he turned and said, "The game." And then I, I let uh, I, I let Lester, you know, kind of do his post-game stuff, and then I pulled him to the side and I wanted to ask him. I said, "Lester." You were dominant out there. I think you felt pretty good. You know, how many pancakes do you really think you had? And he said, to be honest, I really felt like I played well. I really think I had at least 16. The and game I, I went to uh, when they played Brookwood, right. I thought I saw 9 or 10. But their coaches, when they graded the film, gave it 21. Yeah, so he, I don't know exactly if the Central coaches have done a great job of explaining to Lester what a pancake is. Uh, but at the same time, he definitely had some Saturday. Uh, he had more than a handful. He had more than a half dozen. I don't know if he had 15, but he probably had 9 or 10, and that's dominant, particularly when you're playing against college players, college, guys who are going to be in college in uh, nine months or less. And yeah, he did it. He did it against mediocre 4A competition at Central High and Tuscaloosa, but he did it against the best uh, Saturday, and I. I feel like now if they sign Matt, well, now not signed, but committed Matt Womack, I feel like that's going to allow him to play Lester more at guard, which I think is his natural position. But there can't be any doubt about that he has one quality sign, uh, commitment soon to be signing. 
Well, I, he, he's as good as any offensive line in the country, in my opinion. And it was the first time he'd played guard since he was in 10th grade, and I felt like he did a really – he felt like he did a really good job. I felt like he did, too, at left guard. They ran behind him most of the game. He was able to pull. And I did ask him after the game, Kerry. He stayed in constant contact with the coaches and living in where he lives. He can be a frequent visitor. But uh, he said that they're still talking about right tackle as of right now, and he's played mostly tackle in high school. I do. I'm like you. I would not be surprised if he ended up becoming a jumbo Walmart because he's a legit six four, whereas Chance is around six one in the near future at guard. But I'll tell you what, man, he's got all the tools. And the biggest thing Lester has that I think is also ingrained. It was ingrained in DJ Fluker, and it's ingrained in Cameron Robinson, and it's ingrained in Lester Cotton. And that's what I call being pissed off for greatness and having the requisite mean streak to be great. And, uh, you know, Lester didn't get a lot of help from the left tackle situation in that game. Tyler Carr, very nice young man that played left tackle and struggled to, to be kind. Uh, is not a really good pass protector. But I still felt like Lester was a dominant guy, and I thought easily carry the best lineman on either side of the ball in the game. Oh, he definitely was the best offensive lineman. Uh, I want to ask you about the guy that played to his right, uh, young man that we've had on the show. Uh, it, it seemed like that from a shotgun perspective, Brandon Kennedy was really struggling with the snaps. Well, due to him, he's normally a, he played tackle and house But I will say that after he got the snap off, he did a pretty good job of uh, dominating his opponent as well. Well, he he did play center his whole senior season, and I and he did have a little bit of trouble with the snaps. Though I, most of the trouble in the game was Daryl Williams of Jess Lanier, uh, well I, Bessemer City. I, it's going to take me forever to call him Bessemer City consistently, but Daryl Williams uh, from Bessemer City, he struggled. His snaps were all over, kind of to the. They were they were they were over to one side or the other. He was sort of leaning when he snapped. He had, but but Daryl, in his defense, he's really a guard. I you know they played him at center. <laughs> Pardon me, I doubt he'll even be a center on the college level. It's just my prediction. But you know, I think Brandon Kennedy will be. I asked Brandon after the game about the snaps. I said there seemed to be a few issues with the snaps. What were you having trouble with? He said, Well, I had a couple that were too low. He felt like they were too low and that he didn't uh, do a good enough job. But I will – I agree with you on one part, Kerry. I thought he was tremendous or, or really good at the point of attack and held his own. And I feel like after a redshirt year with Ryan Kelly moving on to the NFL, I think that Brandon Kennedy will be supremely in the mix with a chance to play center at Alabama and has elite tools. Yeah, you could – you could go an hour of segment talking about who could be the next center after Ron Kelly. Huh. There, yeah. There's some talk about Hassanile. There's some talk about Josh Kasher. Uh, there's a lot to pick from. Brandon's going to have quite a challenge. I Bradley Bowman. You know, uh, well, Bradley could be too. Uh, Brandon Kennedy, though, uh, I, I still think needs to at least get a look at guard. He may end up at center. That's fine. But I would sure – you know, try him at both spots and then figure it out once he, once he gets down there where he, where he wants to line and I And a guy that didn't get a lot of touches, Kerry, but I still thought he passed the eye test and I thought he did a good job with his limited touches was uh, Desherius Flowers, the man of few words, uh, that does not like to talk, does not do many interviews. Somehow Shane Youngblood got him on the phone this past weekend. Don't really know how that happened. But I will say, and I, and I was able to speak briefly with Desherius, 
but he uh, I thought he had three carries for 18 yards. I felt like he did a good job with what they gave him. But the thing that was most encouraging, he looked to be a legit 6'1", about 210 pounds, and we've discussed this before. I think that following a redshirt year, if you could put 30 pounds on the chariots, he could be a very fine fullback, H-back candidate. All right, well, uh, we have a bonus for you guys. Uh, we did not think we were going to hear from John Garcia of uh, BamaMag.com and Scott.com, but he has uh, he has gotten time to give us 15 minutes, and we certainly thank him. We'll probably, Thomas, go ahead and plan on going five minutes over tonight. But let's go ahead and welcome into Bama's Radio our good friend of the show, John Garcia from Scott.com and BamaMag.com. John, good to hear from you, buddy. Likewise, sir. You know, I had to trick you guys. You know, Cuban time goes a little behind American time, so I had to kind of swoop in on today's event, you know? Well, you know, you know today's a great – talk about Cuba, John. Today's a great day for Kurt McNair and myself. It looks like we won't have to go into cover anymore and get our cigars. <laughs> yeah, I'll see, I'll see if the family's the back policy, man. Guys up, uh, uh, legally this time, absolutely. Please please do, because the next time I turn down a Cuban cigar, I'll be the first. But, uh, yeah, John, we were just giving you a little, a lot of props for your coverage uh, this past weekend and your excellent video capability uh, catching that uh, uh, that ending of that Alabama-Mississippi game. And I guess just really quickly for you, uh, just kind of give your overview of the prospects and what you thought of the Alabama-Mississippi game. You know, I, I thought, Drew, I thought it was sort of what we we already knew. I think we got confirmed. At least I did. I know – you know, other networks, other people thought differently, but I thought, you know, um, among the Alabama commitments, Keen Anderson proved that his ability to run and play in space was as good as it looked like on tape against better competition. That was confirmed. Desherius Flowers, uh, as you just mentioned, legit six foot one, two ten. A lot of us hadn't seen him in person a whole lot because one, he's not a big camp guy, and two, you know, he committed so early that, you know for better or worse, we kind of put those guys in the back burner at least a little bit in terms of our continuous coverage. So I was able to confirm his size. Um, and even when he's shown on tape the last couple of years, maybe not the best running back film, but he is a big, strong guy. He does have a body that you can you could see, you know, working at multiple positions down the road. And we were able to talk to him, and he said he was comfortable with that, which is probably the biggest news. And same thing for Keaton Anderson, also comfortable with playing multiple positions, perhaps different positions at the next level. So that was good from an Alabama perspective. And then, of course, on the offensive line, Brandon Kennedy, Lester Cotton, again, sort of validating what we knew. Uh, Cotton, clearly the top offensive lineman in the state, the most versatile. He could play tackle or guard. I like the fact that he elected to play guard because he was thinking about his future at Alabama. It had been 15 months since he played guard on a, on a routine basis, uh, but he struggled a little bit early on, and who wouldn't with guys like Deron Payne and 315-pound Jared Gentry had a great week. He did struggle that first day, but sort of figured it out the second day, realizing that he had guys on both sides of him and, and really adjusted well and sort of solidified his spot as, as a top two or three guy in the state and the clear top lineman in the state. And Brandon Kennedy, you know, versatility, center, guard, had some snapping issues during the game. But, again, he's another one like like Cotton. Wasn't at one position for a very long time. He's played every position on the line that we come to high school. So him just holding in on center for a week is probably a big deal, no matter how good or bad he looks, because uh, he hasn't really done that in that kind of capacity. And with Tumka, they don't run a whole lot of shotgun. It's a lot of uh, downhill running, you know, wing key, multiple offense like that. So it was a big difference for those guys. Up front. The one I saw among the Alabama commitments that stood out in improving 
was Anthony Jennings. He's another guy whose weight has fluctuated to some degree. But coming off the edge, he looked like a force. He was clearly the best pass rusher among the defensive ends. And Christian Bell wasn't too far behind. So, again, I think everybody sort of validated what we thought about them. Uh, and then some guys had a little bit of a surprise in the end with Keenan Anderson's ability in space and Anthony Jennings' progression uh, as a pass rusher. Those are some definite great observations. Uh, John, uh, you, <laughs> i, I got to give you the props. You, you had the best angle of anybody uh, on the last touchdown. I don't, I don't know how you managed to pull that, but uh, you definitely have a future as a videographer as well as a broadcaster and a writer. So props to you for that. And uh, once you went back and looked at the film, would you agree with the two of us that uh, it definitely was a touchdown? It was, um, especially with the high school slash college rules. You know, one, you know, in a very basic stance, touchdown or tie goes to the offense. So in a very pure, basic, not looking too deep into a stance, it makes it a touchdown. And if you actually slow down the video, whether it's my video or any video, you see that Justin Johnson, of course, of Hoover, he caught the ball with one hand, and he had two feet down at the time before they both went to the ground and then rolled over where the defender was able to take the ball away. So once that ball is secured and one foot is in, the play is over. Um, so, of course, you know, natural human element, you see the ball on the ground and, and in the other guy's hands when he gets up, and you automatically, you know, and rightfully so from the Mississippi perspective, contest that. But once that one, the, the ball secured in the one hand like it was pinned against his chest and that foot is in, the play is over, and it's a touchdown. So uh, I, I get it. Most people, you know, thought it was home cooking, what have you, because the game was in Montgomery. But at the end of the day, the, the right call was actually made on the fly, which was uh, pretty good by those officials who I think everyone can agree was sort of inconsistent on that day. John Alabama didn't sign any uh, eligible junior college athletes today, but you have uh, warned me fairly via text. Uh, that Alabama should uh, be watching out for the potential signature of one ex-Georgia Bulldog, Jonathan Taylor. Why don't you expand a little bit on that? Absolutely. Um, you know, Jonathan, a uh, pretty quiet guy. I don't know if anybody's gotten a hold of him for anything in depth. I was on the phone with him very briefly uh, Tuesday evening, uh, and he did confirm a couple of things I was curious about. One was the trip and official visit. Had Alabama offered? Those were both guesses. And then I, the most important one, in my opinion, was was he going to sign today, meaning Wednesday? That answer was no. So I thought the fact that Alabama was his last visit and his most recent offer among, you know, how guys get re-recruited among those re-recruited schools, he was the most recent Alabama target, uh, especially with the D.J. Jones no-show scenario from this past weekend. It all sort of lined up. Uh, for Alabama making a pretty interesting move for a guy who's, you know, 6'5", 335. Obviously, interior defensive line is a position Alabama has been uh, highly coveting in this class. We all are, are sort of unsure on the status of T.D. Moten all the way through, and probably the most quiet commitment now that we've sort of gotten a hold of Desherius Flowers. Uh, and then, of course, Deron Payne is still out there as well. But nonetheless, uh, interior defensive line is a big need. Uh, we're not sure what's going to happen with Alabama's current roster. Jaron Reed certainly has some NFL potential and then probably should go early, in my opinion. I think he's, he's shown just about enough. So there's some unexpected holes uh, among Alabama's front linemen. So I think Taylor has become more of a priority in, in the last week or so, and the fact that he's not rushing into a signature with 
you know, prohibitive favor, probably LSU, maybe a Mississippi State second in line there. I think that bodes well for Alabama and sort of making up all the ground late in the game and maybe snagging a, a commitment and a signature from a guy who, talent-wise, is, is just as good as, as any junior college prospect in the country. Well, and that's really good stuff, John. And obviously, another junior college prospect that you were been on top of, and and so so is uh, Alabama Intel, and a lot of people, you know, you you really had a lot of insight into him early as well, as far as talking to him personally. But it looks as though you know Lorenzo Phillips is not going to be in the class, and I think you're one of the first people to you thought from your sources that that wouldn't happen. He didn't pass the algebra class, from what I understand, and is going to have to, more likely will end up back at LSU. Will not be at Alabama, but. I just I, I I was hearing last night. I want to hear what you you know what you've heard as well that uh, that there 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 could be something developing with Ricky DeBerry in Alabama and just kind of expand on that. And what are you hearing as far as Alabama and Ricky DeBerry? Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail right on the head on both of those fronts. Uh, I think DeBerry, first of all, is a guy who's been undervalued maybe by just people in general because, one, he's not one of these big-time social media guys. He's not a C.C. Jefferson that's sort of giving you his hot take on every single thing that happens. And even when he does give you interviews, he's very he's a very smart guy. He doesn't give anything away, and he's not one of these legacies that you sort of peg, oh, he's going to this school and it's not this school, it's that school. He's genuinely had a top eight plus all the way through the process, so I don't think any school feels very confident in landing a guy like DeBerry. However, you know, the fact that Alabama was able to get his final official visit, uh, it was obviously a big-time atmosphere. Uh, and then probably most importantly, the amount of players and fellow prospects he was able to talk to, I think that's sort of what has maybe put him over the top. Um, you know, he's been talking to a lot of current commitments, uh, fellow linebackers, and which is which is really rare. You know, even before Adonis Thomas committed, you know, Josh McMillan was all about adding to the linebacker class. Keaton Anderson has always been all about adding to this linebacker class. And now with McMillan's ACL injury, uh, the need for another linebacker obviously skyrocketed because McMillan was a guy that the staff envisioned as, as one who could play, you know, as early as next season and maybe even, you know, have his hand in calling part of the defense. So they're, they're that high on McMillan, and you don't know, you know, how guys going to respond to an ACL injury, especially a high school kid going into college. That's a transition within itself. So to bury all of a sudden with a similar skill set to McMillan as a guy who can play inside at 235, 240 pounds, but also rush the passer very, it becomes a more attractive option. So anytime Alabama seems to hit the gas for any prospect, it seems to make a big impact on them. It just so happened that the timing of everything lined up with DeBerry's official visit, and he was his final official visit. So I think – I wouldn't say Alabama's the no-brainer choice here, but I think uh, I think there's only two or three teams that are probably in the running for him, and I think Alabama's in good, as good a shape as, as they can be at this point without really knowing because, as we've said, both DeBerry and his father have been very close to the vest and played the game very well with the media and, and even with those you know, in that Richmond, Virginia community because unlike the Deshaun Hand stuff where some stuff got leaked to us, uh, unlike, you know, even Jonathan Allen before that, there was always a, a feeling that those guys would end up in Tuscaloosa. There, there hasn't been that feeling yet with DeBerry, but it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. So uh, it's something we're tracking uh, very diligently on Bama Mag and something that we'll be uh, paying attention to on Friday. And I was going to, before Kerry jumps in, I was just going to ask you that. Uh, I was still, We're still hearing that he was going to decide Friday. Is that what you're hearing as well? Yeah. Friday announcements plan. Uh, I know I actually spoke to Jackie Franchula, who's going to be covering it 
for Scout. Uh, she's ready to go, and she doesn't even know where the kid's going, and she's spent hours and hours with the kid. As you know, at Scout, we do these spotlight videos where you have to set up sort of this long, uh, long-winded uh, video feature with them. And he's, uh, even after that and after meeting with his dad soon after, she still doesn't really have a good idea where he's going. So she's covering it just from an interest perspective uh, in addition to the network. And uh, another tip of the cap to how good they've been with the media. Um, but Friday is still the plan. I'm not sure on the time just yet, but uh, I'm thinking it's going to be, you know, a, a press conference, kind of a classic scenario. And knowing how a kid like Ricky is, he's going to be excited to, to get it over with because he, he's kind of shut down the coaches at this point. He's had all the in-home visits, obviously took all five officials. So I think he's got to know pretty good right now where he's going to end up. John, this time last year we were all speculating over what a uh, well-known Kentucky nose guard who likes to eat about as much as I do, Matt Elam, was going to do as far as would he stay in state or would he come to Alabama and accept the challenge of playing for championships. He chose to stay in state and play for the hometown Wildcats, all fine and good. This year, there seems to be a different level of confidence on what the decision will be by a uh, top five national prospect at running back Damian Harris from Berea. Uh, the people I've talked to, which is you, Drew, Rodney Orr, people like that, all seem to feel like that Alabama has got really a great shot with Damian Harris. You know, Kerry, there's, there's just so many differences between Damian and Matt. And it's not a talent thing. It's not a... Uh, location thing, all of that is, is pretty much the same. And obviously the top two schools at the end of the day, because we can all agree that Ohio State is probably out of it. For Tom or for Harris, so the top schools are the same as well. But the difference is the position and the need. If, if Matt Elam joins Alabama a season ago, he's a luxury recruit. He's a bonus for the class. He's probably redshirted, as you can see this year. Alabama completely stacked on the defensive line on the interior. They've got prospects for days. And stars for days, and as we mentioned, Jaron Reed, Sean Robinson, the list goes on and on. Um, but he's a bonus recruit that would be nice to develop at Alabama. The difference is that Damian Harris is sort of a need at this point, and at running back, that really hasn't been true at Alabama. And boy, I mean, you guys know better than me in this regard. Four or five years where there's actually been a need to bring in a running back, I don't think you know we can go back to find out exactly when. Certainly, it hasn't been in the last couple of cycles. So. Uh, with the Deshaunis Flowers, uh, I guess somewhat question marks, I think we could all safely say we don't know what Bo Scarborough is going to be. We, we don't know what his role is going to have to be. Even if he's the best running back on the roster, he might need to play, you know, an H-back, a wing, a split-out type of guy just for, you know, Lane Kiffin's offense. So uh, I think the need of a Damian Harris is such a big difference than the want of a Matt Elam. And then not only that, Blake Barnett was not involved with Matt Elam. Josh McMillan was not involved with Matt Elam. The commitments have known about Damian Harris for much longer this year than the guys knew about Matt Elam a season ago. Elam was sort of a late bloomer. His senior take uh, it was big. The summer before senior year was big. You know, Damian Harris has been the top dog in Kentucky for a couple of seasons among offensive prospects. So, he, you know, Alabama has sort of learned from not mistakes it made with Matt Elam, but certainly learned how to take a different approach with Damian Harris. So it will still be tough because Kentucky is still – be in state school, and understandably so. They've got you know considerable buzz right now. They're renovating facilities, the whole nine yards. However, the need at a position like running back at Alabama, which historically has been about as good as it gets, is, is probably going to be too big to pass up at this point for a Damian Harris. But of course, as we all know, uh, things can change in a hurry. 
And a guy that you've been on top of, especially starting in this summer in the, at the opening when you were on our show, uh, you talked to him down there, and he didn't make a visit to Alabama after having it postponed for the due to the SEC championship game. He ended up staying in state to go on a visit this weekend. But kind of give the listeners an update on Kendall Sheffield and where you think that situation is going. That's one of the interesting ones. Uh, you know, Sheffield, as you said, you know, he made that one visit, but that was kind of it, and you haven't heard much about him. He's not a big uh, media guy, as you guys know. Um, so him going to Texas A&M this past weekend is considerable. Good news for Alabama here. He's not an early enrollee, so he's going to, you know, take the process all the way through. And we heard this with DeAndre McNeil as well. That means he can visit in January. The only problem is that it'll have to be an unofficial visit now. But it hasn't been a big problem in the past, but still, once you've taken all those official trips and sort of seen that side of it, you don't really want to go back to the unofficial visit scene. And uh, as we all have experienced, you know, it's a big difference in 48 hours where everything's paid for as opposed to 24 hours and, you know, it's coming out of your pockets, especially from, you know, Missouri City, Texas. So I think that's a factor for Sheffield and, and the likeliness of him ending up at an Alabama probably drops at least a little bit. But, again, the initial things that have connected the two parties, I think, still hold pretty strong. You know, Deontay Thompson and crew still recruiting him like crazy. Tony Brown, Maurice Smith, uh, you know, Marlon Humphrey, all those connections still remain. He got a couple of unofficial visits in during the season, which is always monstrous um, for a guy like that. And he was able to, you know, meet with the track coaching staff the whole nine yards in that regard. So I think the other side of it for Alabama is that he kind of knows what there is to know about Tuscaloosa. Of course, you want to get him in that official visit scenario. That's always uh, sort of the icing on the cake of, 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 a, of recruitment. Uh, but I think everything else, you know, Alabama sort of uh, checked all the boxes off. And, uh, it just could come down to, you know, who that defensive coordinator hire is at Texas A&M because everybody seems to peg the Aggies as the favorite. But, again, the track thing and, and the Texas DB connection pipeline that Alabama has established over the last three cycles, I think, really puts the tide in good position for him at the end of the day. But it could come down just to who that hire is and how it compares to, to sort of uh, Saban's system, Kirby Smart system, and the personnel. John, with the uh, decommitment of Daylon Charlotte, uh, talk about how the wide receiver position is shaping up to close this this class, uh, specifically with guys like Lawrence Cager and uh, K.J. Hill. Yeah, you know, it's weird. I was actually looking today. You know, uh, I'm a pretty thorough guy, so I, I check a lot of sites just to see, you know, kind of what everybody's up to. And I noticed, you know, two other sites have Dalen as a solid commitment. I, I almost laughed at it. Uh, but, yeah, he is clearly a decommitted prospect uh, from the University of Alabama at this point. Uh, however, um, you know, he is, he is truly torn. It's not a scenario where uh, things are still, uh, you know, leaning one way and there's no way to bounce back, what have you. Uh, he is a, truly a torn prospect. So there is a chance that he ends up back in Tuscaloosa. He does have that official visit waiting in the wings. You know, he hasn't been to Tuscaloosa all fall, so clearly that official visit is still on the table. Um, but other than Dalen, it looks like there's there's three or four names to keep the closest eye on. You mentioned Cager. You mentioned Hill. Um, my sources actually said that Cager was very unlikely to end up in Alabama's class about three weeks ago. And I, I, I didn't question it because the guy has been 100% to me. 
but I still sort of looked at it twice, like, really? You know, that, it seemed like there was a lot of momentum building there. Sure enough, he seems right. You know, uh, Cager has uh, canceled and switched up some other visit plans, and it looks like Alabama probably on the outside looking in for an official visit from Cager. He did take an unofficial that he really enjoyed earlier in the fall. So I would sort of put Cager on the back burner at this very moment. Um, but other guys, obviously, still in the picture. K.J. Hill, as you mentioned, uh, picking up more steam. You know, he unofficially visited for the Iron Bowl, really enjoyed it to the point where he wants to take an official visit and come back to Tuscaloosa. So uh, it's clear that um, Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban are looking for a versatile receiver who can return kicks and punts. It seems like that's the one thing that they don't really have in this class. Calvin Ridley, more of a game-breaker as a wide receiver prospect. Um, the running back to Sherry's Flowers committed, obviously not much of a kick-returner type of guy. Even the defensive backs that are committed right now, certainly you know, other than Deontay Thompson, none of them are really established return-type prospects. So that's still the one factor that's not in the class, as well as a slot receiver. Dalen could have provided at least that part of it, um, but we're not sure to, you know, where that's going to end up. So K.J. Hill sort of reemerges as this interesting prospect. He's a, a fantastic returner, obviously has a similar body composition to Charlotte, you know, about six foot, close to 200 pounds, um, but probably more shifty and more of a, an initial playmaker with the ball in his hand than a Charlotte, who is more of a possession receiver, really good routes physical to the football. A little bit of different receiver scenario there. And Hill can return kicks and punts, which is one of the reasons Alabama was in his uh, final five before he picked the in-state Razorback. Uh, the interesting thing with, with Hill, who, uh, again, will return for an official visit, is I'll be tempted. We all know the running back scenario has been kind of crazy at Alabama uh, these last uh, couple of years, and Tenpenny uh, had the early success over uh, not only Derrick Henry but Tyron Jones and all the rest. And now all of a sudden with Kamara gone and Derrick Henry uh, sort of in and out of the lineup a little banged up and, and needing to be spelled at times, it's Tyron Jones who's maybe the number three running back right now. So you have to wonder where is Al T. Tenpenny's head at and why that's important for K.J. Hill is because, of course, they were teammates at North Little Rock High School. They remain in touch. Uh, and as KJ has said multiple times, you know, the LT is sort of the bridge, you know, bridges the gap between Alabama and Arkansas and it sort of has been feeding him a lot of positive vibes over the last couple of years for the Crimson Tide. You have to wonder, is he still on board with that despite his, you know, diminished role or have things changed? Obviously, if things have changed, uh, it could be a tough scenario for Alabama to overcome yeah, John, and I guess the one last position to talk about, we, we you were you've been on top of it. Got to give you a lot of credit about Matt Walmack being near the top of Alabama's board, and obviously slipping from LSU to Alabama will likely be a right tackle there. But uh, Alabama would really, in a perfect world, like to add another offensive tackle. And the two names that seem to be popping up are, you know, Isaiah Prince, who's heavily involved with Maryland, the in-state school. And then Drew Richmond's name has been kind of popping back up. But just sort of talk about where Alabama is at the offensive tackle spot. Yeah, you're right, um, Drew. You know, Drew Richmond, uh, another Drew, of course, you know, he's, he's the interesting one because, you know, he committed to Ole Miss and, and kind of shut it down for a little bit. has been recruiting relentlessly, maybe more relentless than anybody now named Blake Barnett for Alabama. He's been that on board with uh, Hugh Freeze and company uh, to the point where I guess other schools thought, well, I guess, you know, that ship has sailed. But lo and behold, he takes this extremely under-the-radar visit to Tuscaloosa 
and, and tells me, hey, look, I don't want to talk to the media. And so I said, okay, that's fine. I just want to know if you're considering, you know, Alabama and returning for official visit. The answer was yes at that point. Haven't really followed up since then, to be honest, but the fact that Alabama was still on his mind to the point where he visited and is thinking about visiting again could be a big deal for the tie, as you mentioned, looking for that basically a Cam Robinson replacement on the offensive line, considering the fact that he's probably three and done. Um, so Richmond, somebody to keep a close eye on. Again, no word on that official visit. Um, and haven't, again, spoken to him in the last couple of weeks. He hasn't really spoken to anybody in the last couple of weeks, doing a good job sort of shielding us uh, from him. And then Isaiah Prince, on the flip side, probably the most forgotten top 100-type recruit that Alabama has been after in this class. One, because, you know, he's from the mid-Atlantic. Those Maryland guys, those D.C. guys, some of the Virginia guys, they play on Saturdays. They're unable to take official visits during the season. And obviously, if they're playing on Saturdays, you can't get too far away schools for unofficial visits as well. So Prince has only been to Tuscaloosa once, loved it. Uh, and there's some other factors going for the Tide in addition to that. One, when he was there, he, he liked the fact that the business-like mentality that we hear so much about, he felt like a player on the roster already. That's something that he appreciated. And obviously, if he ends up in Tuscaloosa, that'll be something he'll be asked to assimilate to sooner rather than later. But also, the Florida situation helped out Alabama here. There was a, a thought at one point in time within his recruitment that Florida and Alabama were, were the clear leaders. He wanted to play SEC football and, and big boys football and sort of see what that was about. There's been a lot of mid-Atlantic guys that have done that over the last five years or so. But then all of a sudden, Will Muschamp and his staff uh, disassembled, and all of a sudden, Florida is out of the mix for him. Ohio State added uh, multiple offensive line commitments in that process as well. That was the other school in his top four along with Alabama and Maryland. So now it's sort of just those two programs left and not many Alabama-Maryland battles to to get precedent from over the last couple of seasons. Of course, Cyrus Jones comes to mind where Alabama won out. Jalen Tabor comes to mind where nobody won out, and he ended up committing to Arizona and now plays at Florida. Um, So not a whole lot of precedent there. However, um, Maryland, obviously, on a different plane than Alabama right now, but the advantage they have in addition to the proximity is the fact that he's been there so many times. He, he doesn't even have to take an official visit there because he's been there so much because when you play a Saturday afternoon football game and, and the Terps play at night, you can drive 45 minutes and get to College Park, no problem. You can't do that to Tuscaloosa. So it'll basically be an all-or-nothing official visit for Isaiah Prince to Alabama January 16th. Uh, and I think all is where I would lean towards right now, right? You know, it seems like Maryland has the upper hand today, but it should because he's been there so much. Uh, he's obviously a bigger need for the Terps today than he will be at Alabama. So uh, there's a lot of things going for uh, that crew right now. But, again, Alabama will have its shot. They close very, very well. Anytime there's an official visit a couple of weeks before signing day, uh, the Tide usually gets the players that they want in that span. And now that Matt Womack is on board and, and his family is okay with them bringing in another tackle prospect, it's not a deal-breaker in any light. Now Nick Saban and company can pitch, okay, we got our right tackle of the future. Now why don't you help us be uh, solidified on the line and be our left tackle of the future? Because obviously there's a ton of interior linemen in this class. So I think uh, all the stars are sort of aligning for Alabama, not only with their approach with Prince, but with sort of the Florida, you know, lucky scenario for the Tide, Ohio State filling up on the offensive line, and Maryland still 
you know, no disrespect, but still being Maryland. You know, they, they went in the Big Ten and competed fairly well, but I don't think anyone is, is um, expecting the Terps to be that next, you know, it team in that league. Uh, there's not even a whole lot of stability right now at a program like that, and I think that's a big factor uh, when you're talking about uh, any big-time prospect, and Prince certainly fits that mold. Again, although we don't talk about him a whole lot, he could be the final offensive piece uh, to the puzzle for Alabama. John, final question uh, before we let you go and close the show. Uh, you talked about the uh, effect the coaching change at Florida has had uh, in the recruiting world. Talk specifically about where things bode now with C.C. Jefferson in Alabama. Yeah, I think um, that's one of the biggest uh, beneficiaries with uh, Muschamp going to a school that C.C. really wasn't looking at a whole lot before everything sort of went down. Had Muschamp ended up at a Georgia or at a Florida State, which was a, a big rumor for a part of this process, process, or even an Ole Miss or a Mississippi State, I think there will be some serious CC to whatever school that is, rumors going around just like Byron Coward to Auburn is picking up an incredible steam over the last couple of weeks, as as should be no surprise. He's one of the biggest Will Muschamp recruits out there. Um, but the fact that Muschamp is at Auburn and CC was never a big Auburn guy helps Alabama immensely here again. He is a big Gators fan. He lives, I think, 40 minutes from Gainesville. His, his, his parents are big Gators fans, cheer for them openly, the whole nine yards in that regard. But CC independently has uh, sort of has this weird relationship with Alabama. He just showed up uh, pretty much randomly uh, this past weekend uh, before the dead period kicked in for an unofficial visit. He's been to Alabama more than any school not named Florida. Uh, so I think that's a concern for Florida State, which feels they have a good shot uh, to snag the five-star in the end. So I do think it will come down to those three schools. Maybe Ole Miss makes a late run uh, because they're always capable of doing so. Uh, but I think Alabama's in better shape than people realize for CC. I've always thought out of the two five-stars from Florida, both with Alabama in their top three, I always felt that uh, CC Jefferson was much more of a possibility than Byron Coward, despite Coward, you know, at one time reportedly having Alabama as his leader, which, of course, something is something we never uh, followed up with because we pretty much didn't believe it. Uh, and it looks like that's the case. It looks like it, it could end up being a Florida-Auburn battle for a kid like that, which is not something we anticipated. All right, John. Well, we thank you uh, for taking time to join us tonight. It's been a very informative 30 minutes, and we certainly want to have you back at least once or twice between now and signing day. Uh Thank you so much again. Ladies and gentlemen, that was John Garcia of BamaMag.com. Merry Christmas, John. Thank you. And Merry Christmas. Christmas. Exactly. Uh, BamaMag.com, Scout.com. And uh, we are going to go ahead and close out the show now. Uh, so for Drew DeArmond of Alabama Intel, uh, for Thomas Watts, also of Alabama Intel, and for myself, Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com, Merry Christmas and Roll Tide. You've been listening to BAM's Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. Roll Tide and Merry Christmas, everyone.